0: This is in the zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk, high school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone.
1: What's up? Welcome in to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 on the FM dial. Jackson Schneider with you today on the final show of the week. Crazy enough, it's Wednesday, but the Royals... Open up their season tomorrow afternoon. They'll take on the Minnesota Twins on opening day. So we will have Royals coverage for you here on 1150 KSAL tomorrow. Uh, that uh, coverage should kick in about 2.30 in the afternoon with the pregame show. First pitch expected right around 3.10. Uh, Royals and Twins. Uh, with that said, again, it's going to cover up our show. And then on Friday, we've got Salina South High School bas- uh, High School Baseball, I should say, excuse me, uh, as they're taking on Arc City uh, at Dean Evans Stadium. So we'll have Major League Baseball and High School Baseball the next two days, so we've got to make the most of our show here today. And I do want to talk a little bit about baseball and about the Royals, because I feel like I'd be doing a bit of a disservice if I completely ignored the Kansas City Royals all the way up until opening day. And uh, as as, as much as I'm kind of dreading it, because I think this is going to be another long summer for Royals fans, I think there are some, some positives uh, that we can look at uh, to where – Maybe this team will be a little bit better than last season. and Even if they aren't quite better, if you're going by wins and losses, maybe there's some progress made. Maybe we can find some ways to get excited about the group that they've got, especially with all the young talent that's there that we saw at the end of last season. Kind of see where they've picked up from there and improved and where this program, this franchise might actually be headed uh, in the near future. So let's let's talk some Kansas City Royals baseball. First things first, <clears throat> let's talk expectations, because if you can't tell in the last couple of minutes there and how I, I kind of feel about the Royals, expectations aren't all that high. The Kansas City Royals, based on a lot of projections, specifically, let's go with Vegas. You guys all know I like to sports bet, and I like to use that as kind of the the barometer for success or, or for how a game should go, etc., well, Kansas City, they are projected 68.5 wins uh, per Vegas Insider. So the Royals and the Detroit Tigers, the two lowest win totals in the AL Central at 68.5. The only lower AL team in general is the Oakland A's, whose over-under over is set at 59.5. Also, the Washington Nationals, 59.5. The pirates the the reds and the rockies all lower win totals projections than the royals in the nl as well but 69 and a half or excuse me 68 and a half wins 69 wins to be considered a success so to speak is all it would take now just to refresh your memory and everything last season the Royals went 65 and 97. And for large portions of the year, they were kind of leaning towards the future, playing a lot of those young, um, young players like, you know, Nick Prado, Nate Eaton, um, Kyle Isbel, kind of the 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 Vinny Pasquantinos, the, you know, the 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 future. They wanted to get these guys some opportunities to see major league pitching, to feel what it's like to compete in games at the major league level. To better themselves for the future. Well, we're in the future now. How much have they progressed? How much will they progress? Well, I don't know. Based on 69 wins being your barometer for success, that's still 12 games, you know, below finishing at exactly 500. I I would expect the Royals to win somewhere. Hopefully. Between 65 and 70 games. I don't know that I buy in on them surpassing 68.5 wins so much. But hey, it's baseball. Weird stuff happens. Guys get hot. And if they start the season well, they very well could carry themselves over that number. But I'm taking things with a grain of salt. Because if you look back at the Royals over the last several seasons, um, they have not been anywhere close to really to that mark very often so the royals won 95 games in 2015 they won the world series the two years following that they won 81 and 80 games and after that that was when they lost Hosmer Moustakis when they lost you know Lorenzo Cain when Escobar was done the royals fell off a cliff 158 and 59 COVID happened they went 26 and 34 but I think that is more of an indication of a, a smaller sample size. You cut out 102 games from the MLB schedule, uh, so they were only eight games below 500. You know, that'll that'll even out over a large scale season. In 2021, they put together 74 wins and were relatively competitive for a good chunk of the season, uh, but ended up. 19 games back of first place in the AL Central when it was all said and done, and then again last year, they get nine games worse year over year from 21 to 22, and are just pressing restart. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the guys that they've got can't win, won't win in the future. I'm just not sure that's going to happen right away, and I don't feel like that's going out on a limb. I don't feel like that's crazy. Because it's gonna be the first sustainable sample size that we're gonna get for the Royals. And when we've got so many young players that we're looking at and trying to evaluate, I don't feel like it would be crazy, you know, if they had a rough first full season. I, I think that's entirely predictable. I think that's entirely likely. I think that we could definitely be looking at um a year where we start to think, well, are these guys actually as good as we thought they could be, you know? And they very well could be in the future, but that doesn't mean it's, you know, not a rocky journey to get there, so to speak. Um, but I do—I had pulled up a, a couple of articles um, from some very, very good Royals beat reporters and writers and pundits. Um, One of my personal favorites, shout out David Lesky from Inside the Crown. You can search insidethecrown.substack.com and uh, you can subscribe. He'll send the the articles directly to your email for free, 100% free, and he's got some great insight on the Kansas City Royals. Well, he released uh, two days ago kind of a a bold predictions for the 2023 Royals thing, Uh, just some... Some bullish, some optimistic ways of thinking more than more than not, you know, and I, I think that's something that I could use perspective wise if you haven't heard me speak in the last few minutes. And I'm I'm clearly not sold on the Royals being a great team, but I think I think that this will help, right? First bold prediction from David Lesky of Inside the Crown. He says, Brady Singer gets Cy Young votes. Well, that would certainly be something, wouldn't it? Uh, he, he, Brady Singer has kind of been eyed as the future of the Royals pitching rotation. It was kind of a surprise that he wasn't named the opening day starter. I think that had more to do with him pitching in the World Baseball Classic more and not with the Royals spring training quite as much, whereas Zach Grinke was with the Royals all spring training, so he gets the opening day nod. I don't think there's anything crazy to look into that. Um, But boy, that would. If if Brady Singer's getting Cy Young votes, the Royals are having a good year. Because one good starter is going to go a long, long way for a team like this. Secondly, Vinny Pasquantino getting MVP votes. Now, David Lesky thinks that Vinny Pasquantino can be a top 30 hitter in baseball this season. Um, I'm hopeful that that could happen, but in. You know, fifty-two games after the break last year, he hit three twenty-eight, and after he came back from injury in September, he was hitting three sixty-one in just twenty-three games. So he was hitting well. Power wasn't quite there, according to Lesky in his his thoughts and his musings. But boy, oh boy, that would go a long way as well. And then he also wrote about Bobby Witt Jr. going for thirty and thirty, which would be. Very, very impressive. But we are well aware that Bobby Witt Jr. can hit home runs. But he stole 20 bases last season. If he steals 30 bases, you know, in addition to 30 home runs, boy, I'm telling you, you're starting to look at a team that's going to be cruising towards that 69-win benchmark that we're looking at. The other ones... um, on here that are obviously these are bold predictions for the royals so he's kind of going out on a limb saying that the royals might throw their first no hitter since 1991 or the royals will be buyers at the deadline the last few years the royals have been not a good team that's no secret we've talked about it but they've been sellers at the trade deadline where they trade out their best assets in house in exchange for draft picks or future prospects or um, players that they can use in their buildup of the franchise in the future. Um, well, we saw that last year. The Royals sold Andrew Benintendi, they sold Whit Merrifield, among several others. But if the Royals are young and competing, and if they're close to being in on the conversation, Uh, coming towards the deadline this year, then maybe, just maybe, they will be buyers at the deadline. Um, But, man, I'm excited for baseball. I'm not so much excited for what baseball season could turn into for the Royals if this this season doesn't go as planned. Um, But I'm a Royals fan till I die. And I always will be, um, whether it's a blessing or a curse. But I'm telling you, this has the potential to go any direction, this season. These young guys could put it all together and they could win right away or it may be a bit of a project. So, my official prediction, I'm putting it in the show right here right now for the Royals record this season. I'm going to go Kansas City Royals 67 wins this year. Um not great, not horrendous. I think that they finish last probably in the AL Central. But I think we're going to start to see some growth. So they, they may only win 67 games, but they're not going to get blown out r- routinely. I think they're going to get better over the course of the year. And I think maybe next year, that's where we're going to see the jump, the wins. This year is about growth. It's about development. It's a new coaching staff, a new manager, a new you know president so to speak. I mean, J.J. Piccolo has been around the Royals for a long time, but it's the first year he's really gotten the reins. But I think this year is about growth and improvement. Next year, that's going to be about winning. But I'm optimistic to a degree. I am not overly optimistic. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid that they're going to win the division and go crazy, pull off some surprise miracle playoff season. But I do think that we we could be at least entertained by this Royals team for the next several months. And that's what anyone wants, right? That's what you want. You want to be able to turn on the game and be entertained and not want to, you know, claw your eyes out with your fork uh, while you're eating dinner in front of the TV trying to watch the Royals on a random Tuesday night in July. But I think we'll get there. I think it'll be fun. And I look forward to talking more Royals as the season goes along we got to take our first break on the show today, though. When we come back, we're going to talk a little K-State basketball. Wyatt Thompson, the voice of the Cats, joins us to put a bow on basketball season. K-State falls in the Elite Eight to Florida Atlantic. We'll recap their season and the first year under Jerome Tang. Coming up next here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. Welcome back to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Jackson Schneider joined now by the voice of the Kansas State Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, to talk some K-State hoops after a historic run to the Elite Eight this past weekend. The Cats fall just short to Florida Atlantic in the East Regional Final, but a, a big, big step forward for Kansas State and Kansas State basketball under first-year head coach Jerome Tang. And it's no secret anymore, Wyatt, I, I think this Coach, was a pretty good hire by Gene Taylor,
0: now the uh, Athletics Director of the Year. <laughs> yeah, really excited for both of those guys. And our congratulations to Gene, uh, the NACTA Athletic Director of the Year. And it's kind of a vote of your peers, so it's a really, really, really good thing. And we had him on a local show here in Manhattan on Monday and asked him about it. And He basically said, well, when you hire good coaches, good things happen. And uh, we saw that in the fall with Chris Kleiman. We saw that in the winter here with... Jerome Tang in his first year. But the job that Tang did was extraordinary, really. Um, Still a little bit of sting there with with the loss on Saturday uh, at Madison Square Garden to a pretty darn good Florida Atlantic team. And I think it is Jackson because K-State was so close, one. And two, I don't think they were at the top of their game. And you never really want to end your season with a game where you're off a little bit. They got clubbed on the boards. They didn't shoot free throws very well. Giante Johnson played only 18 minutes. All of those things were factors on top of Florida Atlantic playing really, really well. So a tough tough ending to a fabulous season.
1: It is, and it was kind of, like, the worst part about it was the fact, at least in my opinion, that they were so close, because if, mm-hmm. if K-State loses a tight one to Kentucky a week ago, you know, that's okay. You know, you're losing to Kentucky, and you weren't supposed to make the deep run anyway. You were picked last in the league, but you get to the Elite Eight you want to be one win away from the Final Four. You want to take that step and prove everyone wrong once again that this team is much better than what people thought they would be back in October. And you do it to a team that has never been to a Final Four. So it's kind of, I don't know, it, it stings a little bit to just be that close and have to turn around and go home, I'm sure. But still, a really good point to, for this team to build forward because I think their best is still yet, yet to come.
0: Well, they're certainly going to be different next year, no doubt. And let's let's kind of review here what they did. You know, they finished 26-10. And, and And if you would have thought at the beginning of the year that 26 wins was possible, then you're even more optimistic than you and I, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I had high hopes for the team. And after talking with Coach Tang about it, I, I think he was of the belief that this could be an NCAA tournament team all along. But I don't know even in his wildest dreams that he would have told you that they could go to the Elite Eight and, and um, you know, with seven, seven and a half, eight minutes to go have a 63-57 lead uh, in the East Regional Final to go to the Final Four. That's pretty cool. And then on top of that, just the great season that Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson put forth um, and for, for Keese to do what he did in the in the tournament was absolutely just mind-boggling, honestly. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, you sit there. I, I mentioned this on the show in Manhattan here um, a, a couple of days ago. You look at what they did in the tournament, you know, playing four games. In that stretch, Marquise played basically 40 minutes a game, scored 23.5 points a game with 3.5 rebounds, 54 assists, which equates out to 13.5 with only 16 turnovers, 16 steals. Shot 45%, 42% from three, and made 23 out of 25 free throws and made some unbelievable plays all up and down through those four games. That that was one of the most special individual efforts in a tournament that I've, I've ever seen. It, I completely agree. And the only thing that
1: I could even kind of compare it to – was Steph Curry and his big run in 2008 with Davidson. His was much different because he was putting up 30, 40 points a game for a a mid-major team making a run. But what Marquise Noel did, I I got curious because I knew he was putting up insane numbers, especially with his assists. And he finished third all-time in total assists in an NCAA tournament. Mark Wade has the record um, for 61 in a tournament, but he did that in five games back in 1987. So seven shy of that record for Marquise, and he even broke Mark Wade's record for assists in a single game with that 19-assist record um, against Michigan State. So he's breaking all these records. And then you mentioned his 13 and half assists per game. That is a record for having played at least three tournament games in a run. Thirteen and a half a game is is the top mark now in tournament history.
0: It's just unbelievable. Well, here here's another one for you that I don't know everybody has that has noticed this yet. If you go and you look up K-State's combined season stats, Marquise Noel is at the top of that, seventeen point six points per game. But you remember earlier this year when he passed Steve Henson for assists in a single season, he just obliterated the single season (laughs) assist record. He had 297 assists in 36 games. Unbelievable. That that is just, that is just crazy good to me. And and I, I even put on my, on my chart to to wrap up the year that uh, I think he had five double doubles. Um, Let me grab that real quick. He had uh, five double-doubles in his final 18 games. In those 18 games, he averaged 18.8 points, had eight games of 20-plus, a game of 30-plus, five double-doubles, 338 points in 18 games. I (laughs) I did the 18 games because that was his streak of double-digit efforts to finish the season. Crazy. Crazy.
1: That's, it's absolutely insane what he did, and I. furthermore, on, on just how impressive he was, I. last year I knew he was a really talented player. There was no doubting that. His ability was there, but what he elevated to in this past season with Jerome Tang and with the new staff and with all these new teammates, I don't feel like it gets acknowledged enough because, one, he got better himself, but what I, I feel like people don't really talk about all that much because there's not really stats to, to back it up, I guess. But he made everyone else around him better as well, and that's why K-State got to where they did. And I, I just think that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I hope people really can remember how much he not only did well himself, but just led others around him to success as well.
0: That's so well said, and I would add to that Let's always remember that when Coach Tang took over, there were three guys in the program at the time, and shortly after that, uh, Nigel Pack made the decision to get into the portal and ended up in Miami. So you basically start with two guys. Well, those two guys, Marquise Noel and Ish Masoud, how many times through last summer at the catbacker stops and you know, into the fall and into the regular season did we hear Coach talk about how much recruiting that those two guys did, in addition to Tang and Uric and Rodney and Jareem in filling out the roster to 15 from two. Uh, I I think he should be lauded for that. Um, And and his efforts were extraordinary. Um, It it was really, really interesting to me to see uh, what I know a lot of people, as an example, saw the video of Coach going into the FAU locker room and telling them how tough they were and good luck and hope you win it now and all of those kind of things. But the way he also handled his own team with a really, you know, most difficult and crushing loss, I thought was also uh, pretty cool too. Um, he, he said, don't hang your heads. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. Um, we've had a great year. Let's, let's uh, let's hurt for a little while, but let's also celebrate what we've accomplished. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, obviously, but um, just, just an amazing, amazing run.
1: It, it was. And I, You know, I was just a kid when in 2010 when K-State made that first real run uh, to the Elite Eight, losing to Butler. So I don't feel like back then I totally understood the gravity of that. And then in 2018, a little bit more so, but it was kind of remarkable having gotten to that point because of the way that the bracket kind of shook out. But this year... You know, there was a little bit of the bracket helping out, but K-State was beating really, really good teams in in historic Blue Blood programs to get to the Elite Eight. So it just kind of felt like, to me, the most historic run in K-State basketball, at least in my lifetime. I'm curious where you feel like this one stacks up for you because you've been alongside each of the the historic runs here in recent history.
0: Yeah, I've been been fortunate to be to three elite eights, and unfortunately, be 0-3 in those regional final games. Uh, you go back to the first one, um, and they're all similar. I think the similarity comes in losing to what would be described as mid-majors. Uh, what I would tell you is, is I don't really think Butler uh, is necessarily anymore what you would describe as a mid-major. They're in a major conference. They're a really, really fine team. Uh, Probably can't say the same for Loyola of Chicago, who was really good. And I'll remind you that K-State played with an injured Dean Wade or without Dean Wade, depending on how you want to look at that run. Uh, but this one was, you know, it, it stings because you beat a couple of blue bloods and, or at least one in Kentucky and one a big name basketball program with Tom Izzo and Michigan State. And you kind of, you almost feel like, okay, well, we've won those two. We're certainly going to get by this one and get to the final four. But let me tell you, you get into this tournament, none of those games are easy, and you better be cut in and locked in. And as we said before, K-State was just off enough, and FAU played well enough uh, to to send K-State home.
1: Wyatt Thompson, our guest, voice of the Kansas State Wildcats. Wyatt, can we talk a little bit more about Keontae Johnson? Because I sure. I, I want to give him his flowers, because he made a, a difficult decision to come to to Kansas State foregoing a $5 million insurance policy to play and to continue playing the game he loves. He made the decision to leave Florida to do that and play at Kansas State, and I would say it was a, ended up being a pretty good decision for him with the way things went for him this season and for this team, obviously, but it was kind of a, a sour end for him. He was saddled by foul trouble. He ended up fouling out and only playing about 18 minutes in that game on Saturday, but Looking at this year as a whole, what, what stands out to you the most about Keontae Johnson and what he did for this team and, and who he is as a person as well?
0: Well, I appreciate you asking because, to me, he was one of the great stories, not only for Jerome Tang and K-State basketball, but in the, in the entire landscape of major college basketball this season. Uh, just based on what he'd been through, how consistent he was this year, I mean, K-State played 36 games. He started all of them and was in double figures in 34 of the 36. Um, he, he does everything well. He's a great teammate. He cares about all of the things that are important. I, I, even if I wanted to, Jackson, I don't know that I could find anything to criticize him about. I um, love everything about the guy, um, and, and he is just a, a fantastic player. I probably, in all honesty, felt more um, sorry for him, if that's the right words, uh, after the loss, just because of what you said. I mean, he he didn't get to, to be on that grand stage nearly long enough uh, because of the foul trouble. And I I will always believe that had that been avoided a little bit and he would have been like normal, which would be somewhere in the vicinity of 34 to 35 minutes, I think K-State wins the game and goes to the Final Four. That's just my mind. Um, I don't know that all would, would agree with that, but this, this was a special young man. and uh, He was here for a short time, but, boy, that was a great time. Let's put it that way.
1: It was, and, and certainly fan favorite uh, in that short period of time. I don't remember um, – maybe a player in, in quite a while that has ingratiated himself into Kansas State in such a short amount of time like he did, but he'll be missed. Marquise Noel will be missed, but oh, you were going to say something there, Wyatt?
0: Well, I just wanted to add this because you, you kind of triggered something there. I don't know how many games that you got to attend or the listening audience got to attend this season, but I'm, I'm going to guess it was a handful at least, if not more than that. Yep. And 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 what did we see after games? Here he is. Occasionally even being up into the crowd or on the floor signing things and, and giving hugs and, and taking pictures. And I, I just I think I'll always remember that about Key, too, just because, you know, he just seems to be just a marvelous talent, but also just a marvelous kid. Um, and I just wanted to say that because he he is special. And I, I think basically because of what happened to him, uh, I think he has a very deep appreciation for what the season brought to him. And I think when he looks back on it after the hurt of the loss to FAU subsides, that's, I think, in large part what he'll remember. He'll remember great lobs and dunks and big plays and a 30-point game and all of that kind of stuff too. But I think he'll remember how much fun he had. Um, the, the excitement and the electricity that he and Keith and others brought to the Bramlage Coliseum this season.
1: Certainly. Well, Wyatt, I, the last big thing I have for you is looking ahead because K-State with all these new transfers from this past season, now there's a hefty group of seniors who will be done this year. And so K-State will have to get some work done, uh, probably via the transfer portal. They've got three exciting young freshmen planned to come in as well. But in the quick glance at things right after the end of the season, what do you think is next for Kansas State?
0: Well, I, I think probably what you'll look at is is what comes back off of this team and who are the guys that are going to take another step forward. I'll just run through the guys that that more than likely will be back. David Gasson, Naquan Tomlin, Cam Carter, Dorian Finister, Ish Masood, and then the three red shirts: Anthony Thomas, Taj Manning, and Jarrell Colbert, along with those three freshmen. Uh, I, I think that is um, really something that I mean. I'm expecting Naquan Tomlin, Cam Carter, for sure, uh, to be in those guys that take a step forward. This team will be and look totally different next year without Marquise and Keontae and Desi and others, but I do think that they have a chance to be really good. Those three freshmen that you talked about, Day Day Ames and RJ Jones and Michaela Buddy Rich are going to help, even if they are true freshmen. The real thing of the unknown, and this is somewhat of the exciting part too, is because of what K-State has accomplished this year in every way, a coach, a first-year coach, a guy who's been, by some, a national coach of the year, two All-Americans, um, all Big 12 first-team guys, that that kind of stuff, you can dip into the portal and, and maybe even um, do better than you ever have there. There will be a lot of young people interested in coming and being a part of this, and I'm excited for that.
1: I am too. I think a lot of fans are, a lot of our listeners certainly are, and we appreciate you, Wyatt, joining us to talk about it. I know uh, kind of a, a tough end, but a incredible journey this past season, and we're very grateful here to have you on each week to talk about it. You're a blast to have, and love having you on, Wyatt. Thank you so much.
0: Well, Jackson, you're very kind. I appreciate you. I appreciate your listening audience and the opportunity for me to to talk about K-State each and every week is pretty special. And I I thank you and Robson Oil for that, buddy. Uh, Again, thank you for that. It's important that uh, we get the message out there and with a lot of great K-Staters in your listening audience. Certainly. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Wyatt
1: Thompson joins us each week throughout K-State's athletic season, brought to you by Robson Oil Company in Abilene, serving Central Kansas since 1924, providing the area with high-quality oil and fuel for both farm and commercial customers. Wyatt, thanks again for joining us on the show. We'll talk to you again soon and maybe talk some uh, spring football. How about it?
0: I'm looking forward to that too, buddy. Anytime. Thank you, sir. All right, Wyatt
1: Thompson, the voice of the K-State Wildcats. We'll step aside for just a moment and be back to wrap up the show right after this here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. in the zone today here on sports radio 1150 ksal 106.7 on the fm dial uh big thanks to our good friend wyatt thompson today weren't sure if we were going to get him on the show today but he and i both thought you know hey k-state had a heck of a run we got to put a bow on it talk the end of this season talk a a little bit about where they go from here all that fun stuff so uh, big thanks again to The voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson, for joining us on the show today. A little bit of local news, as a matter of fact, as it relates to Kansas State basketball. Um, The Wildcats uh, saw one name enter the transfer portal uh, just a little bit ago It is Ish Masood, Kansas State's uh, junior forward, the 6'9 kid out of Harlem, New York, put a tweet out uh, that said that he wanted to say thank you to everyone and everything uh, that has transpired over the last two years, everything that happens or does or does not happen is for a reason this year was a dream come true in so many ways and allowed me to grow so much as a player and a person. He went on to thank Bruce Weber and Shane Southwell for bringing him to Kansas state. And then thank coach Tang for having him be a part of the team this year and challenged him and rewarded him in many, many ways. Yada, yada, yada. You get the idea. Ish in the transfer portal, kind of a sad one there to a degree. Um, great person, very good player, and uh, a a guy who really shot the basketball very well from the outside this season. Shot 39% from the floor, but nearly 42% from three-point range this season. Was also nearly a 90% free-throw shooter. Um, But he is transferring out. He is the first K-State name to enter the transfer portal as of yet. We'll see where he goes. But if I had to venture a guess... I think that Ishma probably looking to go a little closer to home. He's a New York guy. Uh, he spent the last several years pretty far from home, but he got his homecoming in the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 in Madison Square Garden. I wouldn't be totally shocked if he ended up in that general direction. I, I wouldn't be. I, I think that, you know, a school maybe like St. John's, it's in a little bit of flux right now with Rick Patino or, you know, maybe a. a Big East school in that direction or kind of a high mid-major in the upper northeast area. That wouldn't shock me in the slightest about Ish Masood either, but to wish him the best. It was fun to follow him. He certainly played well and, and grew and developed over the last year under Coach Tang, and he became a big part of what K-State did this year. So you gotta got to certainly... Give the respect that is due there to Ishmasud entering the transfer portal. Also, another KU player has entered the transfer portal as uh, freshman guard MJ Rice Entered the portal as of this morning. Rice played in 14 games this season for Kansas, playing about nine minutes per game, averaging just over three points per game this year for the Jayhawks, and in a small sample size, certainly. Um, but I don't know that that's all that surprising. It it seemed to be pretty apparent here as of late, um, especially late in the season, that uh, his His play, who he was as a player and person, just wasn't quite meshing with what Bill Self needed or was wanting. Um, So I think it's probably best for both parties there because it frees up a spot, again, on the Kansas roster to go out into the transfer portal and get an instant impact guy that can kind of flip this roster over pretty quickly. And it gives MJ Rice a chance to go somewhere else and make a name for himself there where he's maybe a better roster fit, a better... Uh, ideological fit for a program somewhere else. It doesn't mean he's a bad player by any means. I mean, shoot, he's a four-star transfer portal guy, according to 247 Sports as of today. So he's going to be one of the hottest names in the portal. So he'll, I'm sure he'll he'll have his pick of the litter on where he wants to go, where he's going to go. Uh, but MJ Rice becomes the latest Jayhawk to enter his name in the transfer portal. There have been a handful of them. Cam Martin was one of them. Zach Clements, Bobby Pettiford, MJ Rice. Um, but a handful of Jayhawks in the portal now as the KU program looks to kind of build um, a new look roster. It's going to be a lot of new faces for Kansas next season. So it'll be interesting to monitor how that all works in the in the coming weeks. But. Um... Man, we got some Final Four basketball to talk as well. No show again the rest of the week. Royals baseball opening day tomorrow. Salina South baseball, their home opener is on Friday. We'll carry that on KSAL as well. So this will be our final in the zone of the week. So we got to talk the final four here. And I gotta tell you, I've I've seen a lot of people in the last couple of days kind of firing off the take that this final four is boring or it's not what people were desiring because it doesn't have the big names or the big one seeds whatever and i think that's bull the more i thought about it over the last couple of days i think this is the perfect final four to a degree because all season long there was never a truly dominant team there were never that many like Like the top teams, there were a a good handful of them that just kind of shuffled around in the top 10 for most of the season, but there wasn't one or two truly dominant teams. The closest team you could argue to that was Alabama, and even they had their ups and downs this season, and Purdue had their time where they were really dominant to start the year, but once they got into Big Ten play, they started to lose a couple of games, and teams started to figure out how to beat them. But... This Final Four, to me, is perfectly indicative of where college basketball is at these days. And I think it's a good thing. Because, personally, as fun as it is to have Final Fours like last year, where you've got a lot of these traditional powers of programs, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova as of late, like that, it's it's not that shocking to me to, to see that on occasion. And you, you'll you continue to see that in the future as well, Every couple of years, every once in a while, you'll see a Final Four like that. But Final Fours like this, like this year, with all these new names and three teams making their first ever Final Four appearance, that's great for college basketball. You're getting new fan bases more fired up about what's already the most exciting postseason in sports. You're seeing deeper rosters and better teams all around college basketball. You're seeing mid-majors that are actually very competitive and, and really talented. And it's not like they're just like flashes in the pan. Like San Diego State has been a really solid program for the last several years under Brian Dutcher. They had one of the best teams in the country in 2020 before COVID happened. They're back in the Final Four for the first time. They had a great chance to maybe be a team like that before the COVID year Cancel the tournament, but they're in the Final Four for the first time, and I think they have a chance to win it. That said, I think Florida Atlantic deserves some flowers as well. As sour as I am that they beat K-State to get to the Final Four, that's a good team. They're they're so good offensively. They have so many different skill set players. They can shoot the ball well. They rebound really well. They defend well enough here as of late to win games, so that's a good team as well. Miami, They have found the perfect niche for them with NIL. They've got a big market support system behind them. A lot of money to offer some of these players. They brought in some of the most talented guards in the country to go along and compliment Isaiah Wong. And this Miami team that was in the Elite Eight a season ago takes a step forward. And I would not be shocked if they knock off UConn because they have so many talented guards. The UConn, for a lot of people, is the standalone favorite remaining in the Final Four because they've been there and they've done that. And they've got all these talented players and they were thought to be a national title contender at the beginning of the year before they had their slump and dropped out of the top 25 almost entirely. But now they're again playing like one of the best teams in the country. So all these teams, all these names and this, this, this is brand new Final Four experience for a lot of these teams. It's also the highest total seed number since 2011, which had VCU in the Final Four and Butler and it had, you know, UConn who ended up winning the whole thing that year coincidentally enough, which was also in Houston. Another ironic little fact there, but I think it's great. It's exciting. It's refreshing. Some people that are casual basketball fans may not get us fired up about it, but if you're a diehard like me, you're just excited to see new faces. I think it's refreshing. I think it's fun that we're going to see somebody more than likely win their first title in a long time or maybe get a first-time national title winner or a potential team like Florida Atlantic out of the Conference USA Winning a national championship, potentially. That's that's as exciting as it gets. That's what you dream of when you're thinking of the most exciting, dramatic tournament runs in history is a a run like that. So I'm not complaining. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a blast, and I hope you will as well. Um, Looking forward to it. My official predictions, I'm going to go with Florida Atlantic taking down San Diego State, and I'm going to take UConn over Miami. I am going to pick... UConn to win the national title over Florida Atlantic. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's fun. I hope that a new team wins it. I hope they're exciting games, but that's that's where my head's at. So I'm officially stamping my name on the UConn, taking the national title crown, cutting down the nets on Monday of next week. And, and we'll talk about it, uh, the game before that, because we'll, we'll get to talk about the national championship on Monday. But That's going to wrap up our show for today. Again, big thanks to Wyatt Thompson uh, for joining us today on the show to talk K-State hoops. We'll have Royals baseball tomorrow, so we will see you on Monday afternoon here at 515 on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL.